0: Hey there! Welcome to the What's Your Thing podcast, where we're all about great conversations with interesting people.
1: That's right, I'm Brennan.
0: And I'm Caitlin.
1: There's something awesome about every person, a thing that makes them truly unique.
0: We want to know what it is about everyone, so we're asking...
1: What's Your Thing? Welcome to the third installment of the What's Your Thing podcast. I'm one half of your host, Brennan.
0: And I'm Caitlin. Thank you so much for coming back. Episode three. Um, the last two ones were media focused. We're super excited to switch it up. We're going to go into the science fields today.
1: Very, very, very honored to have a pretty prestigious guest, I, I would say. Um, personal friend, but a pretty amazing, smart, humble, and awesome guy with an unbelievably interesting career. Um, welcome, Dr. Hogan, Dr. Kevin Hogan who currently works in Ottawa, Ontario, as a medical doctor and specialty in pathology. So I'm not going to pretend to understand the science side of it, and that's why I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, Dr. Hogan,
2: what's your thing? So, so as Brendan says, I'm a, I'm a pathologist, more specifically an anatomical pathologist. So just to give a little bit of a background, pathology is the study of disease, and anatomical pathologists um, look at tissue from patients, uh, so either biopsies or your sections and we analyze the tissue and we we sign out reports saying is something benign versus malignant and if it's a malignant or a cancerous tumor we uh, we classify that tumor so there are actually many different subtypes of different tumors across the body so that's basically or mainly what i do is is the tumor specific to more like cancer in your field or is there i don't know much about disease yeah so so every every Field is a little bit different. My focus is mainly in genitourinary urinary pathology and gynecologic. So, in, in these areas, most of what we do is related to tumors. So, tumors can be benign or malignant, and our, our main focus is uh, focusing on the the malignant tumors. But we we sign out lots of benign things as well. But that's where, what we're most interested in. In other areas of pathology, there's there's always cancer that we're looking at, but there's also inflammatory conditions like uh, inflammatory bowel disease and gastrointestinal uh, pathology. And there's a lot of inflammatory diseases in uh, skin as well, for example.
0: Um, so is this something, would you work in a lab or do you work in a hospital that has a lab or how, how would that work?
2: Yeah. So, so pathologists can work in, in either. So uh, in some jurisdictions, there are private labs. We work um, in, in Canada, at least we, mo- we mostly work in hospitals. So we're connected to the lab. So if you can imagine, there's a lab where a lot of the processing gets done and we end up with slides that are sent to our office and we, we use our microscopes to look at the slides, uh, prepare reports, and we call it signing out or finalizing the report, which is sent back to uh, clinicians for for uh, to help them and manage their patients. It's pretty... Uh... That's pretty overwhelming, I would imagine, as a career. Like, I know,
1: I I find it interesting. What led you to finding your way into this? I imagine, is it one of those situations where you were just a kid and you said, maybe one day I'll be a doctor? Or is it something you've always chased and
2: then you fell into this kind of specialty? Yeah, so I guess it depends on what step you want to sort of go into. But growing up, I always enjoyed, you know, the sciences and math. And I went into university, into science, not sort of uh, convinced or or knowing that 100% sure I wanted to be a doctor, but I, you know, eventually did the uh, prerequisite courses and I developed an interest and I went to med school. And then in med school, in our first two years, it's a lot of uh, classroom-based learning. And I always enjoyed the histology lectures, uh, which is basically the microscopy, looking at the, the tissues that way. But that's mostly what I do now. But it wasn't until our third and fourth years where you get a chance to go out and um, experience the different specialties yourself. Um, So how I got to pathology was actually during other rotations. I remember during a a surgical rotation where I was asked to uh, attend a frozen section, which is it's essentially an interoperative consultation. So there's usually a specific question the surgeon has for the pathologist. Often is it the question is, is this a benign tumor? or malignant tumor, or did we get the did we get the the tumor completely out, for example? So this is just a quick sort of preliminary uh, report that we respond back or we give back to the surgeon and that'll dictate the rest of their surgery. So during that opportunity, I had to experience what some what the pathologist does some of the time. And to me it was v- very interesting. I also had opportunities to follow up on specimens for patients because it would be impacting their, their current management in the hospital. And I had another opportunity to go to a pathologist's office and, and see more of what they do. From there, I was able to, to schedule my electives in our fourth year, uh, where I had opportunities to to uh, visit different pathology departments across Ontario. And that's where I have sort of um, came to the re- realization that that's what I wanted to do. So that's what I was going to ask you about part of your journey, like your third
1: and fourth year, it sounds like it's pretty intense for me- like medicine. This is, this is med school. Yes. Versus- yeah, exactly. So you're, yeah. you're, it's really practiced. Like you're in the field, you're doing a lot. And then I guess yeah. you're following up. So you went across Ontario. Is Ottawa one of the biggest hospital systems in the province? Like or like I would say it's one of the biggest. Yes, for,
2: for sure. It's because we cover uh, a large region in Ottawa. So, you know we're covering all the way from I'm probably going to forget the you know that's I don't fine. know the geographic specifically but we go all the way to Renfrew and we go to Hawkesbury we go to Winchester so we cover a large area so it's so, like the Eastern
1: Ontario region almost really. yeah exactly
2: that's that's what it's called it's actually called ERLA Eastern Ontario Regional Lab Association okay so yeah. then you graduate what happens after you graduate med
1: school you finish there because I'm uh, pretty i don't really know myself uh so you you've done your third and your fourth year and then you go on is that where you do residency or is that part of it
2: yeah so you apply for residency in your fourth year and um you know you get accepted to a a program and depending what it is uh so family medicine is a two-year specialty and pretty much everything else is a five-year specialty uh, including pathology so you go you basically spend five years and you just You work on the skills that you uh, learned in in medical school and 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 you learn beyond that. So all the matters. Where'd you come from? What's your uh, what are your schools? So University of Ottawa, I went there for my undergrad and med school and and um, and residency as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I went away one year to Cleveland for a fellowship. So that's after the residency training. Um, So, yeah, that's my only experience outside of Ottawa. So with with going away to Cleveland, is there
1: I obviously people talk all the time about the differences between Canadian and American healthcare, But like from from your perspective in your field, is it pretty much the same sort of thing like day to day, day in
2: and day out? Yeah, it it is. Exactly. Yeah. The the uh, the organization of the residency program is is a little bit different in the the US, but uh, it's it's mostly the same. Yeah. Did you become a Browns fan? Yes. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah.
1: I feel I, like I'm I, happy. Yeah. It's, really uh, it's never been a foo-
2: uh, to a football game, but I feel like the first stadium I'm, gonna, I'm going to, I'm going to be a fan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, I can understand uh, the pain those fans have gone through in the last, you know, 25 years or so. That's pretty cool. So you came back to Ottawa and now you're,
1: you have kind of fallen into your trade. It's your career path. Um, yeah. What's the biggest challenge right now that you're facing with a uh, pathology? Is there anything like we're talking?
0: Is it, Research grants, funding, staffing.
2: So I, I I think yeah yeah funding is probably one of the biggest things uh, because the the field is continuing continue to uh to evolve uh, where we're using more sophisticated testing which costs more money and we're this the quote unquote gold standard is is moving where it requires more of this, of this testing so funding is definitely going to be an issue going into the future. Um, Staffing as well, like uh, in terms of a pathology department, it's not just pathologists, but there's pathology assistants, there's medical lab laboratory technicians, where I think there is a big shortage, especially in those two areas where where we need people. Can I ask, just in your opinion, what the shortage, how does the shortage fall
1: into place? Is that a lack of people qualifying or is it just like people genuinely not
2: interested in that career path or is it just really hard to get into? I, I i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure i just i think it's not a traditional career path that most people think about i imagine i, I think that's got to be a high. big what's that sir i imagine the threshold
1: to qualify would be pretty high in any of those kind of like yes and
2: for for the pathology assistant program i believe there's only one or two in the country for the the uh, formal training so that's probably an issue um but i think it's a like a lot of things, it's just exposure. If people are not aware of these fields, they're not going to be going into them. But I think they're definitely um, interesting, interesting fields for for people to become aware of.
0: So um, you've been doing this for a while now. So what kind of changes um, have you noticed in the last t- 20 years with tech? How has that changed your field?
2: So the, the biggest thing that we're sort of facing now is the uh, the transition to what's called digital pathology. So earlier I mentioned that a lot of the time we're looking at slides are under the microscope, but now some centers have already moved to it, but we're sort of planning to move to it shortly, is this transition to what's called digital pathology. So, so essentially the microscopic slides slides are scanned and they're uploaded to a computer and that's the way we would interact with the slides and sign up reports. We're, some institutions they actually don't use microscopes really anymore it's all on the computer and with that it ties into uh artificial intelligence too um so that's going to be something going forward which which will be have a big impact for for us for sure
1: are you looking forward to that as like being a net positive or is there anything that you think could be is there any like
2: false positives that can come out of that i just hear well that that's the concern so to cover sort of the like the concept of ai and pathology there's been some sort of concerns that pathologists will be replaced by computers and a friend of mine even brought to my attention this um, this this famous Silicon Valley investor was discussing this on another podcast and he says that they're working on systems like end-to-end systems that will basically replace the need for pathologists but talking to people who are actually in the industry they're saying that that would actually be very unlikely AI and pathology would would be used to help pathologists make them more efficient. And cover more more of the mundane tasks because right. what we have seen sort of in the early um, the early uh, results from it is that the computer could make a mistake and that, that would have uh, potentially disastrous outcomes for patients.
0: Do you think that AI could help you screen faster and and could that translate into people catching things earlier? I,
2: I I think it would make our our work more efficient for sure. There's there's some stuff. In terms of measuring things like sometimes we have to count the number of cells that are expressing uh, that are proliferating and that's used just by simply counting uh, counting the cells versus the computer would be able to do that in a much more efficient manner in terms of picking things up earlier. I don't think it would have such an impact that's more dependent on uh, getting the tissue that we need uh, to examine basically. I, I don't know about AI. I just look at it. You've even uh, had conversations
1: with me where you've helped me in the past. I don't think AI, I've tried to talk to my Google a few times and it just doesn't really have a personality. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. could rely yeah. on an AI language model being like, this is
2: really bad news. Me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're working on it though. I'm sure they're... <laughs> at least you could
1: probably yeah. pick the accent or like, you know, it's like, oh, this is a cool Australian pathologist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Your bedside yeah. manner.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So,
1: yeah. so with that, is that changing your perspective, like the, the the advancements in technology, or is kind of your your bread and butter of your as your, your industry is still
2: kind of saying the same as you said? You still have to get the samples. You still have to look at it. Yeah, I I think it's just going to improve. It'll just it, like it will be more efficient with it. Um, there's some there just these some some of these mundane tasks will be replaced by AI, uh, and the you know with digital pathology, and it'll it'll in terms of digital pathology, it'll also make Looking at older cases a lot easier because you can imagine we they're all on slides. So if we want to review the actual microscopic slides, we have to go to a storage facility yeah. sometimes. Whereas if it's all digital, we could quickly pull it up on our computers. It makes sharing cases a lot easier too. So you might want to share it with someone at a, another hospital. So that's that's something we also do a lot is share difficult cases and get second opinions. So it would make uh, things like that much easier as well. Yeah, I guess that, yeah, it could only help your networking.
1: And then you're not yeah, risking, sure. I guess,
2: if it's all digital, it's in a cloud, only certain people
1: have access to that information. Yeah. There's a lot of risk in sending something like carrier. I mean, I've not putting yeah. down the mail system, but, or it gets lost. Yeah, that happens. That happens, happens. Like, you know, that, that happens cloud, for sure. all use the same software. It's like, I need to see this X, Y, and Z on here. Hey, tell me what you think. So yeah, I can, yeah. I can see it as being a, a net positive for your career. Yeah. So do you
2: have any predictions with that for the future? Like, uh, or,
0: or just in general for your field.
2: Yeah. like, Yeah. yeah so I, I think it's a combination of that in the future and um, also using more of the sophisticated testing. Uh, we call it molecular testing. So that Can we, you we that? right now, yeah, we right now mostly classify tumors like, and give what's called a, a specific, specific subtype of a type of cancer. So this will go... Further than so that's based on what's called morphology or what we're seeing underneath the microscope, what the cells look like. So what the molecular testing is doing is looking for specific genetic changes in in the in the tumor cells. So something we can't see by microscopy, and that will help in terms of the patient's management, in terms of what treatment they will get. So they can have tailored treatment for their specific genetic mutations in that's the cancer. Massive. So, yeah.
1: And so this is like, is this one of those things that's like long term, kind of like, hypothetically, it's going to be there? Or is this something that you see, like, ever evolving? It's like slowly. Yeah, coming it, in,
2: in. Yeah, it's, it's coming in for sure. In the last few years, we're testing, we're doing more and more molecular testing on all sorts of different tumor types. And uh, yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. That with
1: the advancement, like, knowledge sharing, and it's only going to open your communications and your dialogue with other people. It's networking, it can only be good yeah. for patient advocacy for you guys. For sure. your knowledge yeah so this is where i get i guess i want to ask the doctor and you is there anything that you feel like any messages that you need to get out there to people with respect to your trade with what you do kind of like you know people need to pay more attention to this this is an opportunity to kind of share your experience or your knowledge
2: yeah so i, I think one of the biggest things would be to take um different types of uh, cancer screening very seriously because a lot of these screening tests are very valuable in catching either that either a tumor at a pre-malignant state or a pre-cancer state, or just catching it earlier in the disease process. So we'll have a much better uh, so the management will have a much better outcome for the for the patients. Like for example, colorectal screening, where you have a simple test looking for blood in the stool, could maybe help us find uh, something called a polyp or an adenoma before it. Uh, it it uh, changes, it mutates and develops into a cancer and similar things for cervical cancer screening as well and and many other types. So with that, kind of for patient advocacy, if there's people who are stuck out there,
1: let's say they don't have a doctor, there's that's just a situation where there's a lot of people who don't have a family practice, I feel like that could be a situation where they don't kind of advocate for themselves they see something wrong and they're like oh well, maybe i'll just put it off and there's a lot of people who are just like i can be one of them where i look at something and i'm like oh I, am i being a hypochondriac like yeah. you're talking, you're yeah. talking to me am i thinking something of nothing or it's like holy crap this might actually be something but i'm am i too subconsciously afraid i'm not going to do anything on it is there anything yeah. to that you would say like maybe in these circumstances trust your gut go with it maybe go to a walk-in if you have to
2: oh for sure uh yeah, a lot of people ex, ex, uh, experience these symptoms or uh, differently. Some may go into complete denial and, and let something progress and just get worse and worse, or or they don't have access to the to a clinic like you've mentioned. But I, yeah, if I were a patient, I would use all possible avenues to get to get uh, the you know the treatment and someone to look at it um, as best I could. So that's that's a big that's a big if to our listeners. If you yeah. if something's wrong, err on the side of caution, get it looked at. Yeah. 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 To... And as a genital urinary pathologist, one of the things we look at is 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 bladder cancer. So example a simple thing. If you see um blood in your urine and you're you're over a certain age, I believe it's 40, it's a worrisome sign where you should get that evaluated. That's...
0: So talking about um patient advocacy for people that don't have doctors that need to advocate for themselves if they have something like that would it be something um what what could they do if we're in a system with a doctor shortage to make sure that their samples get to you do you have any tips or tricks for that
2: yeah so when so whether or not you have a a family doc or not so basically you always have to find a way to be seen so it could be a walk-in clinic or at the most extreme end, it could be emergency. But if it's something wor- worrisome enough, definitely go to emergency. They need to be seen. In terms of requesting a biopsy, that's usually a conversation that the patient will have with, with that uh, care provider. And it's usually um, they will have input. And if, if there is a big concern and, and if patients push for it, then the. the the uh, care provider could provide that service of, of getting a biopsy and then sending it to pathology right. if they believe it's worrisome. And I, I think most doctors
1: are pretty good for that. Yeah, right? exactly. Like they're yeah. they're not, they're not in the business of not helping you. So that's
2: exactly yeah. like yeah. you
1: know, reiterate, reiterate your message, get it. If you think something's yeah. wrong, get it looked at.
0: And if the yeah. doctor says, Oh, you know, maybe not right now. If you, we have intuition and if we think something's wrong, we insist. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure
1: thank you uh so i guess this is kind of like this doesn't have to be on the the negative side is there anything that you find with specific to your trade that would surprise most people like just something interesting about your thing that kind of people wouldn't really
2: know yeah so i I think just how how complex the system is or how complicated the whole process is uh, of of getting the biopsy and because a lot of people even you know, some in the healthcare fields might not really have an idea of what goes on in the, in the lab. So the the specimen that's sent there goes through many different hands and and, and different steps uh, before it's actually, you know, before those slides are received on, you know, a pathologist's desk. So there's lots of, or there's many steps involved, many people involved in the process. Um, yeah, I think that would be the... Is it fair to say, too, because I,
1: I do feel like people do complain because, you know we always were human beings and we complain about everything like just wait it out because there's people doing their best for you at the time if things are taking time it's for a reason like trust yeah do you find yeah, that yeah exactly maybe, maybe people yeah. get that message that like nobody's i i I know you I've seen how you work and I can imagine that everybody in your field is the same like nobody's just taking their time with things that are very very important and i can only yeah. imagine anything to do with a microscope takes a lot of paying
2: attention to detail a lot yeah of, it, Exactly, yeah, and that's. I think it goes back to all the steps involved. So, can you explain that process for us? Like, yeah. like, let's say I
1: I go into the doctor, and unfortunately, there's some worrying signs. What would be the step A to Z kind of process flow before you get kind of communicated back?
2: This is what you need to do. So, let's just say it's it's a concerning, uh, say, lesion on, on your skin. So, the 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 family the family physician may be comfortable enough to evaluate this themselves or they might refer you on to a dermatologist. Eventually, if it's concerning enough, they'll take a biopsy. So that biopsy will be put uh, in something called formalin, which helps uh, fix the tissue. So these are just terms we use. But so so the the, the specimen gets sent to the lab, it gets fixed in, in formalin, and then it has to be processed. So it has to be gross, meaning that... So biopsies are straightforward, meaning that they'll be put in these cassettes and then sent on... For a step called embedding, where the the tissue is fixed in wax, and then after that, or it's been it's been put in wax, and then eventually these they're called blocks. Eventually, these blocks will be cut, and then a very thin slice is put onto a microscopic slide. It's stained with uh, what's called hematoxylin and eosin, and then it's the slide is eventually sent to us uh, pathologists. Sometimes we have to do further testing on the specific tissue. Uh, in something called immunohistochemistry or special stains that will give us more information about the particular sample. So that's why these things can take some time is that each of these steps can take a, a day or two, you know? So That's
1: what I was going to say. I, I'm impressed that that could yeah. be a day or two. I imagine like the yeah. higher risk the case, the faster it's going to be.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. We, I, we do something called rush specimens. So we try to go through these steps as quick as possible. And in, in those cases uh, they can, the slides could reach the pathologist's desk in about one or two days, but that would be the absolute fastest. Okay. Yeah, that's that's yeah. fair to say. It sounds like there's a lot involved, and I can only imagine yeah. that there's.
1: I mean, Ottawa, yeah, it's a big, big region, this eastern Ontario area, but there can only be so many pathologists, right? And like you know, people live their lives, yeah. they have their vacations, they have their time off. It's probably I can imagine a very stressful job. Um, but, oh yeah, it can be. It can
2: be. It's. Do uh, yeah, depending on the situation, yeah,
1: for sure. So would you say like yeah that that would be the message if you kind of if you're worried get it checked but also I want to advocate for you and your peers they're working their butts off be patient like there's a- yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure I, yeah. I know myself uh fortunately not yet having to do anything like that but I I can I have a lot of respect for people who go through that sort of thing because I would just be beside myself kind of thinking constantly worrying
0: Anx- anxiety
1: anxiety yeah. Through- yeah for sure and yeah. it's uh, that can turn that can turn seconds into hours yeah so, yeah do you um do you have anything that you want people to know i know you had mentioned to me that you have a really cool resource that's uh you were gonna is there anything about your trade in general that you want people to know and then and then any resources that you want to plug that you can make available or how we can make available to people to kind of help
2: them yeah i i, th- I think i've already covered it but just yeah it's a, it, it's definitely um an interesting process. In terms of how, you know, the the from when a biopsy is taken until when a final report is made, so that's definitely an, a, a very interesting, complicated process. It's not just a simple, you know, some sort of machine that just sort of analyzes the tissue. It's it it, it there are many steps involved. But in terms of resources for patients and their families, uh, a colleague of mine has developed a website that. Helps explain some of these more technical terms that you might see on a pathology report. Uh, it's been used, you know, in in Canada, but but it's also pe- there's been hits from all over the world in terms of its use. It's, you have the website, dude? yeah. It's mypathologyreport.ca. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, so it should be pretty straightforward because nowadays patients can often access their pathology reports before they meet with their care providers. So. You could imagine there would be a there could be a lot of anxiety over over a lot of these complicated terms where patients just don't quite understand what's being written. So it it could help them uh, sort of break down the report and understand these terms a little bit better. We're gonna post that to all of our socials, and we want
1: to make sure that people have that resource. And you know that's that's another thing I'd like to say. It's it's pretty cool. I find people in the medical field they're either you see them at your worst where you're most terrified or you kind of don't see them when you're getting treated and then you might talk to them as you're leaving but we can't you're not thanked enough and especially just if that's just on their own time your colleague going out of their way to make this resource available to people is just another example of the kind of characters that it takes or character it takes to become someone like yourself a medical professional not only that a specialist yeah really appreciate that work that you do because i i mean i don't think First of all, I was never good in science, but I don't know if I could. I could sound like it. Can I ask you kind of a a different question? Like, in terms of size of samples that you would review, what's the range? Like, do you ever get like really big stuff, or is it mostly like mostly microscopic, really, really fine? Or I guess it depends. So
2: it's concerned about. Yeah, so it's both actually. So we get we get tiny. They're called core biopsies. So they're they're probably anywhere from a centimeter to two and a half centimeters long and they're about a millimeter in diameter. So that's usually what we're dealing with in terms of core biopsies, but there's all, there's all different types of biopsies. There's shave biopsies. There's even something called cytology. So this is what's used in, in cervical cancer screening where they're actually just getting this, the epithelial cells themselves and not the underlying tissue. So that's a whole different sort of um, subspecialty within pathology, but that's that's where you're only looking at the cellular level rather than sort of the organization of the tissue. And then going from there, we get everything in between to very large specimens. So we get complete organs. Oh, really? um, wow, yeah, wow. we you could eat, even in, in there's uh there's a subspecialty called bone and soft tissue. They could even receive complete limbs. Wow. wow. So, yeah. So yeah. Because ever, there are. Sorry, this might ahead. be a little bit morbid, but like, let's say, do you ever get like,
1: are you always on the front end of we're looking at this pre-diagnosis? Or do you ever look at things after maybe somebody has passed? and you're kind of like do you ever do you ever do that kind of research after the fact saying uh or is that more of a
2: yeah so so any well, so a lot of our research is done in what's called like historical cases so it's often not related to the patient's immediate management but there might be just something interesting about that tumor and we may look into the medical record to see how they have fared since so we may look at a, t- a specimen that's 5 years old and with a for a patient with a particular type of cancer and we may evaluate how they have uh, how they have done so that some may have passed away uh, mm-hmm. but some maybe uh, alive without disease or maybe they've had a recurrence of their disease some pathologists do autopsies yeah which which is um which is when the patient obviously has passed and uh they're they're looking for different answers to for the often the clinicians or in forensic pathology for potential uh, crime investigation
0: oh wow
2: yeah that's yeah that's wild
0: that's interesting
2: yeah do you
1: i guess i was gonna ask kind of as a person who doesn't know much about this is there anything you can say to people is to maybe look out for genetically is there are you predisposed to certain things if uh you have a family history in terms of like specific types of cancers or or diseases that you should maybe if you're aware of it in your family, you should look out for it.
0: And I, and I guess that's very broad, but you mentioned that, you that you're pathologist for very specific things. So within your working yeah. framework.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think the best way to look at it is if you've had a family member who is relatively young. Or if you've had multiple family members with, with the same sort of cancer or cancers be- belonging to a specific family uh, uh, um, where these Cancers are sort of related to each other, or tumors that you often get in certain conditions. So that would be my biggest biggest recommendation. But when you when your family members are going through the different um, treatments or 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 experiences with their caregivers, they they often are able to. The caregivers are often able to suggest uh, different uh, things into looking into these um, concerns. And interestingly, with our molecular testing that we're doing we're often looking for genetic changes that might be in uh in your in your germline what are called germline mutations so sometimes we identify um mutations that are often passed down uh to to your to to the patient's children that could be like wild yeah for future yeah. research eh?
1: yeah yeah oh for sure yeah life-changing that's insane yeah So. I guess this is the fun part of the podcast. Mm-hmm. We've asked you all about your thing, your profession. Is there anything
2: you wanted to share with us that maybe is not your thing? People might not I don't know. Is there like,
1: anything that stands out? Yeah. You know, you're a pretty busy guy.
2: I, yeah, I don't think it's it's anything uh, too interesting. But as you know, I play hockey. I, I'm actually on Brennan's hockey team that he organizes every year. Yeah.
1: He's, um, uh, Kevin's the big guy who's the defenseman that stands in front of our net to make sure the puck doesn't go in. And then I'm the big guy who yeah. stands in front of their net that tries to bounce pucks off of my Yeah. Good. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah. So that that's a lot of fun. Uh tied into that like spending time with friends and family and and some of them are on on the hockey team. Um but you know, I like watching sports. Um You, you know, know
0: you're a Blue Jays fan?
2: Yeah. Yeah, Blue Jays fan. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're not looking too good right now, but uh you know, Definitely. what can you do? Well, yeah, you and so uh
1: for, for taking yeah. the time for us tonight because I know it's a big game. Yeah, yeah. I kind of pulled yeah. uh, pulled the shoot on that one, but mm, Yeah, we're yeah, yeah.
0: stepping away from the player. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no. uh, We appreciate you coming on. This was a a pretty a pretty cool experience for us, but I I think it sends a lot of good information to anyone who's listening to us. Especially, I think it's no secret that your career can you know especially what you do can have a
2: massive 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 impact on people's lives. So
0: yeah. So thank you for explaining how you do it.
2: And yeah, I hope I hopefully it was uh, clear enough for you guys, or at least absolutely it gives you a starting point to look further into these uh, into these. Issues. And one more time, yeah, just your friend's website for. Those. Yeah, it's so it's mypathologyreport.ca.
1: So, my pathology report, it will walk you through some of the more complicated terms. Yeah. After you've received yeah. it, you might receive it before your doctor. So, definitely use that resource. Thank you to your colleague who came up with stuff like that and to all the other doctors and healthcare professionals that are working their butts off to make
2: sure that we're all living our best lives. So, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hogan. We appreciate you being oh. on the podcast. You're welcome. It was a, uh, it was a fun experience and I hope all the best to, to you guys. Yep. Yeah. We'll see uh We'll see you on the ice. <laughs> Sounds good. Cheers.
1: That was our third episode of the What's Your Thing podcast. Thank you everybody for watching and listening and a special shout out to one of the people who makes our podcast great, Miss Carolina Krim, who is working for us all the time to make this podcast as awesome as it is. as it is, And she's got one herself, the feature length Podcast. I recommend you check it out. If you're into movies and television and all that, they got a pretty cool thing going on. So thank you, Dr. Hogan for being here and all the best. We'll see you next time on What's Your Thing? So make sure to check us out, com. Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, follow us on TikTok, check us out. We're gonna have a blast. What you think? What's your thing?
0: What's your thing?